Hey everybody, I'm back again. I feel like I haven't like left you guys today, but it's been so much fun and I have Erin with me. Erin is another round tour. She came on with me. I'm trying to remember, it was the second summit, so the fall summit, right? Yes. Yeah, fall mm -hmm. summit. Popping back on with me again, and we're gonna dive a little bit deeper in a couple uh, different areas. But I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Tell us about what you do, and the people you work with, services you offer, the whole jazz. All right, I'm Erin. I am the owner and one of the physios at Erin Memoring Pediatric Physio. It's a mouthful. I get it. Uh, didn't think that one through. Uh, <laughs> um, and we offer private pediatric physio for kids. So birth to 18 years of age, um, seeing everyone from little babies with tongue-tie kind of body work needs to flatheads to kids with diagnosis to coordination to injuries to everything. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you need physio for your kid, we will see you. <laughs> so that's who we see. Yeah. And it creates lots of variety and lots of fun. And we yeah. make it fun because no one wants to do like boring adult physio exercises. Yeah. No offense to the adult physios, but I know you have talked to on your panel already. Um, but why would we do it with fun games? <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think with children, it's a different approach, right? You have to take a different yeah. approach because they don't they don't have the understanding and, you know, the comprehension of what we're doing is going to fix you. They just like, they're like, I just don't want you to do that you know right yeah. so you have to make it fun and you have to make it interactive and you know make absolutely it, almost make it a game right you know yeah are. most most of what we do is game based um and we have to make it so that they're willing to do it at home with their parents because or their siblings um you know we strive for family focus to make it work for the entire family it won't just work for the kiddo to come see me um it's got to work for you in your life so we have to make it fun otherwise they're definitely not going to do it for mom and dad they might do it for me but they definitely won't do it for parents at home. <laughs> right for sure for sure yeah so to come see you as a pediatric um physiotherapist do you need a referral from your doctor or okay no. so no. to get that one off the bat right away if you're feeling like you know there's something happening or the the flat head thing you know because that is definitely a pretty common one i'm sure you guys see that quite a bit um, yep. that you don't need to go to see your physician you can actually just reach out to aaron and you know get an assessment right you sure can now that being said i should warn people there's not that many pediatric physios around mm -hmm. um and so we do at times have wait lists um, so if you have a concern, we always recommend like reach out to your local peds physio, whether that's me or someone else in a different part of Ontario, um, as soon as possible, because you do sometimes have to wait. Um, yeah. So yeah, just like to give everyone the heads up as soon as you see something and you're worried, call us or email us. It's much better yeah. <laughs> than waiting until like, you know, you're like, well, I've seen this for like five months and mm, now I say I have to wait another like five weeks to see you or two weeks or whatever. We'd always much rather see you much sooner. So call us sooner rather than later. Absolutely. But yes, you don't need a referral. You can just email or call any pediatric physio and they can see you. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And I love that. 
that's one thing, you know, um, about physiotherapy that, you know, it's kind of a, a readily available. And I know even with pelvic floor, there is a bit of a wait list as well for that, just because you guys are so in demand and, you know, physiotherapy is, is an amazing tool for a uh, toolbox and especially when it comes to the kids. So we're going to dive a little deeper and talk about mm -hmm. a couple different things today. Let's start with uh, torticollis. Yes. So this is one for all your new moms out there or new parents, I should say, not just moms. Um, normally it's moms in my experience who see it first. Yes. Um, and torticollis is a fancy name basically for a head preference. Um, so, you know, I get a lot of parents calling me, my kid will only look to the left. Right. Um, and we've talked to our doctor, that kind of thing. Torticollis, historically, we have thought of and been taught, physios, doctors, everyone have been taught it's about the neck. Mm -hmm. um, and we look at specific muscles. In recent years, research is changing around that. Um, and we no longer think it's just the neck. So we look at much more the whole trunk and the role the trunk is playing, the whole body affecting head position more so than just the neck. Um, some parents will say, yeah, they can move their head both ways, but every time I look at them in the car seat, they're like this. Mm -hmm. Or I have noticed, I've had a parent say, I've noticed every time I take a photo, their head is always tilted. It looks super cute. Yeah, yeah. But it's always tilted the same way. Is that a problem? Um, and so that's where we start to think about torticollis. Um, we get concerned. Sometimes it is just preference-based. Now I should make it pretty clear. We shouldn't, no infant under the age of one should have preferences to one side. We should be totally free and clear. Now I'm going to add a little like caveat to that. When kiddos first come out in those first few weeks, like week one and two, they have preferences. That's okay. After that point though, <laughs> they should start to wiggle out of it. And as they start to kind of wiggle their head around, you know, and, and get kind of going, we should see it going in both directions. Um, so we want to make sure that they can do that. If you're not seeing that, we get worried. Um, again, not that there's anything fundamentally like, it's not neurological, we're not worried about big red flaggy things. Yeah. But what happens with torticollis and asymmetries is they can stop range of motion. So we could lose the ability to go to the other side if we don't have it already. It can start to affect gross motor skills. So we might not be able to roll both directions. We may not roll at all. You start to get wonky crawls if it's left even longer. Mm -hmm. And all of these things can start to add up. It's tricky to treat it later down the track when all those patterns are ingrained. Okay. So just like I said before, we'd always rather you call us sooner rather than later. Um, a lot of adult physios will say they treat infants and treat torticollis. It is something we're all taught in physio school. Um, but like I said, I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've been in physio school. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still teaching it that it's just the neck. Um, if they are, I'm sorry, shouldn't be taught like that anymore. I know physicians are still taught that it's the neck. Um, so they will stretch and kind of check their, their, those two primary neck muscles. Um, but if you just treat those two neck muscles, and that's what historically physios have done as well, um, it can come back. Mm -hmm. We don't 
fully resolve it. And then we do start to see those things. Every time they grow, they have the tilt back. Every time they start to curl or they start a new skill. And then you're like, oh, that's a little funky. And then the next thing comes, the next thing comes, and the next thing comes. Um, and I've I've seen, I had a six-year-old on my uh, on my caseload who came with unresolved torticollis that had been kind of, ah, oh, he'll grow out of it. Oh, no, it's fine. Oh, it'll, and it's still hanging on. Um, so it can still hang on. Um, so I would say my, my recommendation for torticollis is always make sure you're seeing someone who thinks of it as a whole body approach and get on it early. Um, those are my biggies. Now, there is also different ways to treat it. Um, historically, we were traditional stretches. So if something's tight, you go the opposite way and pull. Um, I use that method myself for the longest time. That's what we're taught. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you from experience now, kids hate it. Uh-huh. They cry. New parents also usually cry. I mean, listen, no one wants to make their kid cry. Yeah. Terrible. Um, it does work eventually. It's just super slow. There yeah. are other way more effective methods out there. So I always recommend reach out to someone who has experience in a variety of pediatric techniques. You will get quicker results better like fully resolve um and get it kind of going on the right track quicker Mm -hmm. now the other thing is that it often goes hand in hand with the next thing i want to dive into which is plagio carefully plagio we shorten it for most families because that's a big word no one wants to say that one um (laughs) plagio is basically flat-headedness Plagio is one side. You can also get brachycephaly, which is up the back and a total flatness up the back. Um, as you said, super common. You hear about it a lot. Um, one of the biggest factors for that um, coming into play is the back to sleep campaign. Mm-hmm. So obviously for safety reasons, we now put our kids on their backs to sleep, right? We know that. Everyone knows that it's been like hammered into us. But what happens is that when you have kids who can't move off the backs of their heads and they're spending so much time sleeping, hopefully, in an, in an infant newborn stage, <laughs> right? Um, their heads are getting flat. <laughs> so plagio is something, can, you can see it at times without the torticollis, mm-hmm. um, and you can see torticollis without plagio, but oftentimes they're put together. Um, we see both things happening. There are some things that physios can do to help. Usually it's addressing the underlying reason, the torticollis, and and kind of going at it to sort out the underlying, the root root cause. Um, There's certainly some positioning things that we encourage parents to do, you know, spending less time with them laying on their back. So a week time, can we do tummy time or can we wear them in a carrier or... All, all sorts of varieties of things. Um, and I will also fully admit, it's not always that easy to just, oh, just do more tummy time. Yeah. Not every kid loves tummy time. Um, and one of my little secret gems, I have said to many parents, they're like, why didn't anyone tell us this? Um, kids really shouldn't hate tummy time. If they have a torticollis or a preference and they hate tummy time, the tummy time is probably the result of an asymmetry somewhere in the body. It Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be that hard. You're not doing something wrong. 
not just that you're like a terrible entertainer, <laughs> tummy time. <laughs> I swear, it's that it's actually really hard for them. Yeah. Um, so if you're seeing that, don't just be discouraged by like, I'll just do more tummy time. If tummy time is really hard, and get assessed to figure out why it's hard. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be that hard. I mean, I mean, it's hard for kids, but it doesn't need to be. I've heard parents come in sobbing, like it's awful. They hate it. They just scream. They can't do it. That doesn't need to be the case. Yeah. Um, so there are position things, limiting time in car seats, in swings and reclining bouncy seats. All those kinds of things can help um, with plagio and brachy. But we try and assess to see how much flatness there is and how it's progressing. Um, One of the big things we talk about, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to kind of dive down this this topic, is that there is a time limit. Um, And unfortunately, I've had parents come in who weren't given great advice and didn't know there was a time limit, and it was too late to do anything about it. Um, So the older a child gets, from newborn to let's say about a year as we get closer to that like 10 12 month mark 13 month mark it's really hard to make any significant changes in head shape at that point even with helmets mm-hmm. um their heads just aren't growing to the same extent it's much slower the sutures start to kind of knit together it's it's an uphill battle at that point um, so the sooner you can get in now, obviously we're not putting, um, helmets on, you know, one, two months old, there, there's an appropriate time. Um, but you know, changes happen much faster as they're in that, like six to eight month window is kind of the golden, golden hour that we can get the most changes as quickly as possible. Um, and usually without that much fuss, really. Um, and so I want parents to know that. Um, I also find there is not a lot of good knowledge out there about when is a helmet appropriate? When should we be sending families to get helmets? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had lots of parents say, yeah, my family doctors kind of said, yeah, it'll, it, it should be okay. But they didn't really know. There's no concrete answer. Um, or they've seen physios and they said, yeah, like, should be getting better. Um, there is a standard measurement guide. So if you're seeing a physio, make sure you're seeing someone who will measure their head, track it and give you concrete guidelines as to like, this is when we should do this. This is when we should do this. This is when we need to go to helmet, um, that kind of thing. Um, so make sure you're seeing someone who will measure it. That takes the guessing out of it, right? Like it just makes it easy. it's so important. We don't want to miss opportunities for kiddos. Um, And that's why, again, one of the reasons I say reach out early, um, because the sooner we can measure and kind of keep track what's happening, if we kind of address some of those root causes, and then we remeasure, are we making improvements? Are they big enough? Should we get to a good head shape? Great, cool, then we don't need to worry. Or no, we probably need to start heading down that helmet route and get you started. so that's one of the big things that we want. I really want parents to know. Don't leave it too long. 
find someone who will measure and give you a concrete answer. Um, I know some of the pediatricians in this area for sure um, will refer to neurosurgery to take measurements um, to figure out like, do we need to do something? But as everyone knows, our medical system at times has fairly long waits. So you can wait out all of your time. So you could be making changes, waiting on your referral. Um, it doesn't need to be neurosurgery who measures, I promise you. Um, peds physios are more than appropriate to measure a head shape uh, and tell you, give you some guidance um, as to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of that is trusting your intuition, right? When you feel that, okay, something's just not right, then get it looked at, you know, and don't yes. know for an answer. Like if you're in your gut, you're like, something's just not a hundred percent, you know, that the, especially when it goes back to um, the, the torticollis, like if you're kind of like your gut saying like, yeah, no, something's not right. It's mm-hmm. better more than up to have it looked at and be like, nope, it's okay. And everything's small, you know, but if it's still not, you know, get, you know, always trust your gut, especially as mamas, I feel like we have that intuition and we have that for a reason, you know, and 100%. following that. And I think I, I want to say, we talked about this last time as well too, that, you know, yeah. always, you know, checking into those things and just making sure that, you know, you're comfortable with it. And if you're not, there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion about things. Or, you know, if your physician isn't, you know, able to give you the answers that you want, you know, talking to someone else, you know, there's amazing um, professionals like yourself out there that, you know, can help to provide answers and give advice on, on things like that, for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I hear it almost daily, to be honest, of especially a parent sees something mm-hmm. and everyone, the sometimes the other partner is like nah you're overreacting you're stressing the doctor says oh no don't worry like you're imagining it it's not there over and over like literally daily I have parents to come in and like am I crazy this is what I'm worried about can you assess my kid and then we assess them no you're not crazy there are a few underlying things often they're not huge and it we can get you going really quickly like it's one of my biggest pet peeves so much so I got a little bit sassy on my Insta reel the other day. I usually try and keep like, you know, neutral. Yeah. Neutral professional. Um, but I'd had just one too many of, you know, a client coming in in tears and saying like, I wish I had known. They told me like, no big deal. They'll grow out of it. And so, yeah, no, Mm -mm. find someone who will give you the answers you want. And if you see someone, you reach out to someone and you think you see them and they're like, well, I don't know. And they're still not giving you those answers. It's totally okay to reach out to another professional. Mm-hmm. Physio, doctor, chiro, osteo, like I'm always open book, second opinion. I totally like if my families aren't happy with the answers I'm giving them, I want them to seek the answers they want to. Um, I always strive to give them, you know, as many answers as I can provide um but you know make sure that you're having someone and if that's really important to you which I think it should be um do your research about who you're contacting um you know you can I never have a problem with a family who emails me and says will you measure my kid's head shape will you give me an answer if I need a helmet like yes 
bring it on. Like I like a self-advocate. And if the person you emailed can't give you those answers, then keep looking. Find a health professional who will fit your needs. There's so many wonderful providers out there. Um, and we're not all, I'm not great at everything. Um, you know, we target kind of what we do our additional education in for a variety of things based on the clients we like to see, the clients we get the most referrals for, our areas of interest. Um, no one person can be fabulous at everything. We just can't be. Um, and so finding someone who has the underlying skills or foundation or ideology, um, you know, I'm very much a play-based therapist. That's just who I am by nature. Almost everything is play-based. Um, and so if that's important to you, find a therapist in your area who is play-based. Um, you know, if it's very important that you get someone who is totally current on the latest research of your concern, ask questions. That's totally fair. Mm -hmm. Um, I do that as a parent, you know, I reach out and if I don't get the answers I want, I continue to dig and seek and, and find someone who can help me. Um, and I want my parents who come contact me or all parents really to, to advocate the same for their kids, get the best care you can get that works for your family. Um, at the end of the day, that's how we kind of support our children mm -hmm. um, and get them off to their maximum potential, which is always our goal at our clinic. We always want to work with you to get your kids to your max potential. And what that means changes depending on the family and, and their goals. Find someone who will work with you and address those things. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The so other you have another thing to say, I'll wait. <laughs> okay. The other thing I should say is that um, helmet therapy alone is not the answer to all the problems. You have to sort out the body thing first. So there's some fabulous um, orthotists around who make wonderful helmets. Um, but And they're, for the most part, all fabulous at making sure that you are like connecting with a healthcare practitioner who will support that underlying concern. Um, but just make sure that that's happening too, because you could get the head shape kind of fabulous, but then we're still really wonky. And then, you know, the, oh, sorry, all these, it's Friday. My thoughts are kind of scattered. Uh, the other thing that I often get asked about or told is that they say, oh, my family doctor said it's just cosmetic. We don't need to worry about it, especially the flat head thing. Um, and I will admit, years ago, I said the same thing. Research was showing that that was the case. It was just a cosmetic thing. Girls, if they're going to wear their hair longer, it may not be as noticeable, not that big a deal um, to a certain extent. So with Plagio, you can get asymmetries happening in the face as well. So you can get cheeks coming forward, ears coming forward, eyes slanting. That kind of thing can happen because the back of the head, the force has to go somewhere. And so the shape pops out the other side. Um, and so now I think most people, most professionals would agree, not just cosmetic. Um, the reason being those shifting of the features. Um, and it comes down to me to two biggies. One are if your child's going to need glasses later in life, um, which is impossible to know at the start. 
Um, an ear shift can make things really tricky for optometrists to get glasses to function kind of as they should. And they're hard to sometimes fit if one cheek is quite high compared to the other one can get often tricky. So something to consider. The other thing for me is helmet safety. Um, and it's a big one. Bike riding here in Ontario, we have lots of kids who skate and play hockey, any kind of sport, skateboard that needs a helmet that's going to really fit. If you have a really big flat spot, those helmets, you're not going to be able to get fit well to provide enough safety. Um, and that's kind of my big change over the course of the years of, of seeing that research and, and seeing how much those things are really affected. Um, and that has changed it from, yeah, it's just cosmetic. You can choose if you want or not to, to, no, we probably should sort that out <laughs> if there's a concern. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my biggies when it comes to torticollis and plagio. I just want all the parents out there to know because the clock is ticking. Yeah. I've seen infants as early as like four weeks for like a strong they came out of the womb, definitely can't turn that head. Um, and the flat spot is already there. Sometimes that's because they were jammed up in underneath ribs. You know, they were head stuck down a long time. Like, listen, babies do funky things in utero. <laughs> so even my nephew, he was sitting against my sister's pelvic bone. And yep. so he has a little crease that... We talked about the helmet thing, but his hairline covers it. So you don't even see it. But yeah, like it can be all different parts of heads can have little, you know, weird things, yep. right? You know, and yeah, and we definitely get did get that assessed and that right off the bat. But um, we felt that, you know, it was fine. And even now as, as like he could get a piece inserted to flatten it out if he wanted cosmetically, you yeah. know, but even going back, that was eight years ago now so I mean I I know that things have changed so much even since then and you know the way mm -hmm. I've had um some of my clientele have um torticollis and that you know that they were luckily seeing a physiotherapist right off the bat and the mom was like no we're getting on this we're taking care of this we're getting this yes. adjusted and things you know work through to kind of help with with that because the baby could definitely not turn to the one side it was very prevalent and yeah I was like yes mama like yes yes like, you know yes. advocate you know get these things taken care of and don't take no for an answer for sure for sure and I mean it is just like kind of the start of the chain that's where you're seeing it but like goes all the way down like can start to affect kind of fine motor skills if one hand is a little bit more forward than the other we can start to get some things. We can affect vision. If we're always tipped this way, our vision is going to get adjusted, which can then, you know what I mean? Like it can snowball. And it, honestly, like the kids I've picked up fairly early, two, three months, even before that, if we're like really on it, um, they get better so quickly and then they don't have any of those things. It's so, so much easier. <laughs> For sure. Well, even like posture wise, like later on in life as well, too, like, you know, just little positioning, you know, it's, it's, you know, you get that little lean to the, <laughs> to the one side all the time. And that would affect yeah. all the way down the chain through the posture, because you're always, you know, that affects your hips then and your spine and everything, because you're always kind of 
off to one side, right? You know, it just absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, torticollis is yeah, I, I would had never heard of it until last year when I had a client and I was just like, Oh, okay. So I did a little bit of like, what is that exactly? And and looked into it a little bit more just for my own general knowledge. But yeah, it's mm -hmm. very, very interesting how how it can affect so much and and yeah, with the flathead as well, too. Absolutely. And there is for those who are like really like me, like to get like all the information, um, there is a grading system. A pretty standard grading system that happens in most of the the kind of academic papers but i use it as well to classify the grade um mm -hmm. that looks at everything from um how much range of motion is lost is do they have full range of motion but they definitely prefer that to a lot of range of motion and that kind of guides treatment to even some kids can have um kind of nodules in one of those neck muscles right. um it, it's not super common, but there can be an actual physical kind of lump in that muscle. So that all gets taken in, into the grading system as well. Um, that kind of helps guide treatment and kind of expectations of, of what that will look like long term as well. Like, how long is this going to take to resolve? Yeah. A whole lot of factors come into play, but grading system, you know, a good allied health professional should be able to give you an estimate you know we can't we have no magic balls I can't tell you like exactly but I can give you based on these four things that I'm seeing I suspect it will be this yeah yeah and you can mm -hmm. kind of map it out a little bit with them and just yeah yeah absolutely sure. um we always at our clinic try and our goal is to make it a family-centered approach so we always try and work with our families you know we have no standard you have to see us. We're going to see you at week two and at week six. And then we're going to see you this many times. It's not the way we roll. Um, you know, we always try and work with our families. So if benefit, you don't have any extended health benefits and, you know, out of pocket physio is expensive, then we will work with you. How do we make this work? You're okay. You're going to do a lot more at home and do home base. And we do a shorter follow-up visit less frequently. And then, you know, we're always happy to work with you to make sure that we can make it work for whatever your family situation is, um, or you live a long way away. I have families who drive up to an hour and a half to come visit. Um, yeah. So obviously they don't want to do that like multiple times a week, which I totally understand. Um, so we make it work with what works for them. You know, can we do a virtual in between when something's urgent and then do another follow-up later? Or are you just going to like, no, I'm good. And I'll email you if I have a concern. And then we do a follow-up much later. Um, we're always happy to kind of, work with our families to make it work for you we'd rather you seek care we'll figure out how to make care work than you not seek care because you don't think you can make it work um i don't want any kid not to ever get care um, yeah, so. for sure. mm -hmm. so how would an appointment um like initial how would how do things kind of get rolling with you what what is that process that you would kind of go through when a family like reaches out to you um say they say they send you an email and they have the concern with uh, the torticollis like what would be that process walk me kind of through that initial just so that everyone kind of gets an idea of what that what to expect yeah so initially when families reach out to me um i always want to know what their concern is, um, the age of the child, and how it's affecting function. Mm -hmm. So our wait list is triage based. It's not first come, first serve. 
Um, because things like this that are time sensitive need to be seen sooner rather than later. Um, and so our, for our wait list, that's how I need to know those information so I can figure out how and where they fall on that wait list. Um, there, there are kids that are absolutely priority. Um, certainly kids, I need to hop back for a second. Kids with torticollis often, um, I guess I should flip that. Kids who have tongue ties and kind of tethered oral tissues, not uncommon that they have torticollis, not uncommon that they have plagio, all connected. Okay. Um, when we think of those body asymmetries and kind of, kind of restrictions, tightness, all of that kind of stuff can all be linked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly kids who are having feeding challenges, um, I'm not a feeding expert. I'm not a lactation consultant. I don't do any intraoral stuff. But if you're flagging to me that you're seeing a lactation consultant getting a relief, but your kid has torticollis and plagio and it's affecting feeding, you're super high on my priority list. Mm -hmm. Feeding is their number one function. They must feed. So let's get you in as soon as possible. Um, Certainly like littles with torticollis and plagio are almost always very high on my weight list. But um, even higher would be those kids who were starting to get closer to that kind of point. Like you call me that you have a, or email me that you have a like 10 month old with a flat head. Oh, you're going almost to the top of the list. I need to get you seen to see how fast we need to either, are we okay? We don't need a helmet and I can kind of work it out. Or do you need to get a referral Mm -hmm. for a helmet ASAP? Um, So, I gather all that information, any kind of concerns they may have, just kind of get a full picture of the kiddo. Um, and then typically they go on our wait list. Um, we reach out to a family as soon as we have a spot available. Our wait list too, we won't just fill any gaps we have. I want to make sure that I can provide the optimal care for you going forward. So I have a space ongoing. So we don't accept any new families until I know the schedule can accommodate long-term and not even long-term. There's follow-up bases for you. I don't want to assess you say, these are all the things we need to do, but mm, I don't have any space for the next six weeks. Like, that's terrible. Um, (laughs) So we reach out when there is space in the schedule to accommodate another family. A family would come in for their initial assessment. It's about an hour. Um, They would fill out an intake form so that we can kind of have a heads up beforehand um, as to kind of all the concerns and kind of figure out how we want to work that assessment. Um, The assessment typically starts with a bit of a chat with whatever parent is bringing them in. Um, We talk about everything from um, pregnancy to the birth to what's been happening since then any medical concerns, ear infections, all of those things, you take a pretty detailed history um, because it all gives us little clues to the puzzle of potentially why or what's going on. Um, In torticollis and plagio, things like um, if there's other siblings, if this is the first kiddo, they're at higher risk for torticollis. If they're big babies um, and males, because they tend to be a bit bigger as well, those are all risk factors, multiples, also risk factors, they just don't have as much space. Mm -hmm. So we want to know all of those pieces. 
Um, we would then do kind of a hands-on. We'd feel everything about the body. We look at things like tone and range of motion. If you're coming in for, in particular, torticollis and plagio concerns, we'd check their range of motion for their neck in all three positions. And this one's kind of key. Um, I'm not just going to look at them laying on their back because it can be wildly different. Um, in, a seated, in a seated position, on their tummy, on their back, we look all of them. We also look at active and passive. So how much can they move on their own versus how much can I gently coax them? I'm never going to take your kid's head and just like crank it. Like not what I'm going to do. Um, <laughs> I've heard horror stories. Don't do that, people. Uh, <laughs> they're just little babies. Um, <laughs> and then we talk, we would measure head shape. We also, if there's time, look at things like primitive reflexes. Where are they on their development of reflexes? Are they integrating? Are they not? And then we look at gross motor skills. We may or may not, um, depending on the time and kind of what's going on, we sometimes do a developmental um, standardized assessment to know exactly where they're tracking. Um, and then we have a chat about these are our findings. These are our recommendations. This is our ideal scenario. This is what we would recommend if like it was unlimited time, energy, money, yeah. all of those things. Um, and then we work together with the family to say, okay, so that's our ideal scenario. What, what works for you? What are your concerns? What are your thoughts? Do you have any questions? How do we make this work? Um, and then go from there. And that's usually, we do that with all of our kids for any concern. Like an 18 year old comes in with an injury. We do the same thing. We take a thorough history of the injury. We look at all of the things we do some functional tests. Um, and then we come up with a game plan and that's how start to finish our assessment role. Yeah, and that's like the biggest key component to all of that is always that initial assessment, right? And like- Always. Leading that game plan to move forward and, and you know, giving that, that whole, the plan, right? Like just having yeah. place and yeah. And I love that you guys work with the parents as well to, to create, you know, something that's functional and, and, you know, manageable for them as a family and them as a unit too. Cause I know that can be tough and, you know, a lot of people have lost jobs and, you know, things have shifted and, you know, and it's hard, but we still need to provide care for, for those babes, you know, that need it. Right. Absolutely. And to me, the initial is the most important piece and I will be a hundred percent transparent if we have a super complex kids or there's lots of things coming in, sometimes that initial assessment takes two sessions, mm -hmm. typically not. Yeah. But sometimes there are things that I'm like, I want to look at that next time. Because to me, that's how you figure out what's going on. You need all of the pieces of the puzzle to then accurately, efficiently treat it. If you're missing a big one because you didn't have time to look at that or for whatever reason, um, you're not going to get the outcome you want mm -hmm. so you got to look at all of those pieces um and certainly like there are times that kids are unpredictable right they take time to warm up covid has made things extra noticeable like that um i'm in a space with this human i don't go anywhere usually and they're wearing a mask i can't see their face where am i what is going on um so we always want to make sure kids have time to like adjust to the room and to me and you know, I'm not going to just grab them and force them to do something. We're going to give them time to warm up and play. And I'm going to watch while we're doing all that chatting about, you know, all my questions, usually, especially if they're mobile, 
we're on the floor and there's toys everywhere. You can play with whatever. I'm going to be watching you like a hawk, but you can play and do whatever. And then I will start getting into those things. But, um, you know, it's important. We've also flipped things. Like if it happens to be nap time and like, I have 20 minutes before this kid will fall asleep. Okay, cool. I'm going to feel them now, feel all of the things I think I need to feel. And then I can ask you the questions when they're napping in your arms in 20 minutes. It's totally fine. Um, You know, you got to be flexible with kids. You can't just expect them to like follow your game plan. (laughs) That's the way it rolls. (laughs) But yeah, that's typically kind of what what an initial assessment with us would look like. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. What is one thing that, um, maybe one question you always get asked about, like that, you know, that one kind of, you know, one or two ongoing questions that always seem to pop up that everyone always seems to ask. And, you know, you wish your clients knew this in advance or knew more of, but what's that one thing that you get asked quite often? Um, We get asked a lot, is it normal? (laughs) I hear that always. but a lot of the times, the question I get asked is, why doesn't anyone tell me this? And it, I mean, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. I get that. Um, but that's the thing I hear all the time, right? Nobody told me this. Why didn't anyone tell me this? Why all of that's what I hear all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, especially things that research has changed over the course of time, too. Um, kids certainly are not at all the same um, as kids 20, 40 years ago um, for a whole host of reasons. I could talk all day about why (laughs) kids today are different. Um, And sometimes I do if you're in session with me and I'm feeling extra (laughs) sassy, I will chat about the reasons why kids are different. But like things that worked historically or things that we used to think of, Mm -hmm. things like toe walking, oh, they'll grow out of it. Well, 40 years ago, they probably would have grown out of it toe walking kids today are not toe walking kids 40 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, if you haven't kept up with the changes, you don't know that. And so parents get this advice of like old school advice. And unfortunately, it's not always accurate. Yeah, I, think, um, I think the, 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 you know, that little, uh, sentence, they will grow out of it should almost be a red flag and <laughs> be like, Will they? Maybe question that. If you ever get told they will grow out of it, maybe question that. And as like, um, I was a bedwetter as a child, and we were always told they will grow out of it. They will grow out of it. Having children who happen to be bedwetters as well, oh, they will grow out of it. No, let's look at the root causes. Let's look at the thing. Let's making sure that they're having enough fiber in their diet so that things are functioning properly in their pelvic floor. And oh, look at lo and behold, no more bedwetting, right? You know, asking those questions and be like, no, why? No, why? You know, like don't take. (laughs) Yes. And if you don't have a why, if the person says to you, oh, they'll grow out of it okay, but what's the plan? When are we following up if they're not making progress? To me, and this is part of my Instagram, I was, again, real the other day, but... I I saw it, but I didn't have a chance to... Yeah, so they'll grow out of it, sure. But what if they, in the meantime, figure out all sorts of funky ways to do things? Like, kids are resourceful. I've seen some pretty funky things 
um, of kids who like, I want to get that, but I don't have the body ability or movement or range of motion to do that. So I'm going to go this way. I mean, Instagram is full of them. My husband drives me a little bit crazy with this, but like, you know, the funny baby crawling, scooting, wonky crawl videos that are like super funny, but they're all over the place. He's like, look at this one. Look at this one. I'm like, oh, you're driving the physio and me crazy. All of those kids need to see someone. <laughs> they're smart. They'll figure out compensation patterns. If they don't, they're going to be super frustrated and you're going to have massive behavior concerns because they're not being able to do what they want to do in a developmentally appropriate time. Um, they're developing compensations or they're just not correcting those things. And you get to be like, well, I don't know, 15, 16 and still doing these really funky things. I mean, there's lots of adults wandering around that I look at their gait pattern and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> that person, aren't you? You're the person, whoop, my hair is doing some funky things. You're the person that goes and watches and people watches and just be like, what is wrong with that person's walk? Yeah. Like, what was wrong with yes. them as a child? Like, I could have fixed them. <laughs> That's totally me. I'm awful for that. Um, so much so that like even driving, if I see someone like walking down the road with something really funky, my husband's like, focus. Like, oh, right. Sorry, I'm driving. Um, masks have helped. I'm not particularly great at like keeping my face neutral. Um, so masks help because sometimes I'm like, what is that? Um, <laughs> so it's more socially acceptable now that like I'm still at a mask and I, you know, can't just show off this look of like, what is going on there? Um, yeah. So to me, like, I don't like wait and see. I don't like they'll grow out of it. I like to be proactive. I know lots of people have benefits. Um, and so I don't see the harm in reaching out and saying like, can you assess my kiddo? Sure. You know, there are times we also do gross motor screens for kids. Like I'm a first time mom. I mean, mom groups are starting to come back now, but like, I don't know how to play with my kids to start development or to help them develop the next skill. We do those kind of things all the time. There's no concerns. They just want ideas for purposeful play. Um, I love those parents. Um, you know, the kids, the ones that want to like, how can I help my kid? Cool. Come my way. But I don't see the harm in, in at least assessing and checking the underlying thing and doing some preventative stuff. Like I do it with my kids. Um, if you're okay with the answer of like, wait and see, or they'll grow out of it to some degree, I think you need to press that medical professional for a timeline of when is acceptable to wait? What are we doing in the meantime? Um, you know, there has to be concrete steps between just like, now nah, you're good, they'll grow out of it and with no follow up at all. Mm -hmm. You know, there has to be those things in place. Because otherwise, like you said, we end up at like, I don't know, 15, 40 with these concerns, right? That like, why didn't we, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, just catching, you know, the little thing. And again, it goes back to that intuition and that gut feeling. If you feel like that's not the answer that you want to hear, then dig yeah. deep, right? You know, be an mm -hmm. ad an advocate, not only for your own health, but your children's health as well, too. And, and you know 
consult other professionals. There's so many different avenues now available. And, you know, the, the nice thing about the pandemic, it's opened up that virtual consultation option Absolutely. as well. So you don't necessarily have to be an in-person visit all the time. There is the option of the virtual consultation or a phone call or, you know, the email yeah. and, you know, just to get that second opinion or see if this is worth looking into a little bit further or deep, diving deeper or, you know, and more than, op as you said, like, you know, trusting that parent's gut, you know, if they had that, then more than not that there is an issue and it's sometimes an easy fix, you know? So, yeah. And I mean, I've had kids who come in who parents are like, I have this concern and we look at things and I show them where they're at and like, it's really not a concern. Like this is okay, but we have all this to back it up, right? We can say, here's where the development is. Here's the range of motion. Look, all of these things, um, you know, there are times that families come to me. I'm like, yeah, no, you're good. I don't need to see you. If you see things like this, this, and this in the future, call me. Um, and I've had families reach out. I'm pretty good at answering like any inquiries over DM, over <laughs> Facebook message, over email. Um, I have a lot of families who reach out that way. And they're like, I see this. Should I be worried? Uh -huh. um, and usually I'm pretty good to okay, are you seeing this, this, and this too? Like, give me more info so I can try and build a picture. And then we say things like, mm, I think you need to see someone. It may not necessarily be me. Um, but yeah, I think you need to reach out um, to someone. And again, it's not always a physio concern. Um, it could be, I think you need to see an OT. I think you need to see a pelvic floor physio. Um, you know, that kind of thing too. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So on that note as well, too, what's the best way to reach out to you? How do you, how is your preference for, <laughs> because, you know, social media is so prevalent now, like there's so many avenues and ways to get a hold of you, but what is the best, you know, way to, to slide into your DMs or send you an email? What, what would be preferable on your end? Emails are easier for me. We don't have it in men. You're looking at like social media coordinator, yeah. admin, uh, physio, scheduler, all of those things all in one. Um, so I don't answer my phone when I'm in session with kids. So like, you can call me and leave me a voicemail, but it's going to take me much longer to get back to you. Email is always the easiest. I can shoot off an email between clients often. Um, and I almost always by the end of the night or early the next morning, like one of those two, I will get to my email. Um, I mean, you can DM me as well, but usually I'll flip families over from Facebook Messenger or DM to an email, it's easier to keep track of. I can leave things unread so I can remind myself to answer. Um, wearing all of those hats, my kind of brain is a little scatterbrained at times. So if I have an email, I definitely can't lose track of you. So email me. Um, that's usually the easiest. Our website has uh, a web form that will email me directly. So you don't even need to look for an email address. You can just go to our website and send me a message that way it will come to me and I'm happy to respond that way too yeah perfect and what um kind of area do you travel I know you, you cover a little bit of area um or do you prefer clients to come to you I know you, you do a little bit of travel but yeah typically we're not doing many home visits um for offices in Waterloo we do do the odd home visit if there's uh kind of an underlying reason so like a mobility concern that kind of thing um you know, or some sort of extenuating circumstance that like you can't get to me. 
Um, then otherwise, almost everything is in our office in KW. Um, but again, we do virtual yeah. frequently. Um, typically, I do recommend that if possible, the initial assessment is usually helpful to be done in person. I like to feel kids um, and kind of, I, I can learn a lot from observing them, but without being able to feel them, there's always those questions of like, mm, there's something I'm missing. Um, but I have lots of families who come for the initial and then we only ever do virtual after that. Like that's pretty easy. Um, but yeah, if there's someone who thinks there's like some kind of special circumstance, absolutely they can't get to me or for whatever the reason, um, reach out and you know, there are times that we travel, but generally almost everything is done in the office now. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. Awesome. Except for if I have to call a kid on some shenanigans, sometimes I do that too. If you'll do things at home and not in my office, um, and it's repeated and I need to see it happen, yeah. I will fully, like, last summer I did a tour, like, way up Bruce County because I had a couple kids doing that. And I was like, I'm going to just come to your house then. Fine. Yeah, right? I'm going to come see it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be slipping anything past me because I'll just come to your house. <laughs> yep. I've done it on more than one occasion. <laughs> but in general, I don't do it. Unless well, I feel like, right. You know, they get in a different environment and they're like different children. You get them at home and it's just all of a sudden it's like, no, you know, all bets are off and we'll do whatever we want. Right. But yeah. Yes. But, yeah. And virtual does help with that too. Like I I've had a couple of kids over the past year who like, they get into my office and they're like, I'm not moving away from my mom. I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to show you anything. Um, and then when I feel them, they're like, Oh, I hate you. Um, <laughs> those kids and stuff particularly helpful for you to be in the office to see me because I can't see what you can do yeah. so then we will always switch to virtual <laughs> for sure <laughs> was there anything else that you wanted to add today lovely it was so good to see your face again I know right um, okay can I get back to the toe walking thing because that's another like because that's it, it I've seen that pop up too so yeah let's touch on that yeah. one Okay, I'll make it quick. I won't ramble quite so much as like tort and plagio. Um, but there's a time limit for toe walking too. Um, so toe, our foot kind of bony foot solidifies around like four or five. Um, and so you get bony changes that happen um, if you're up on your toes past four or five. And our gait pattern um, is pretty ingrained by seven. Um, it's really, really hard to make changes in either of those things, especially toe walking, if we're getting to those points. Um, a lot, so many, so many people are told they'll grow out of it. Mm -hmm. If you were gonna grow out of it, it likely would have happened by age two. Um, but even then it's a fairly small percentage. Certainly like if a kid is first learning to walk, those first, we usually, I usually give kids like a month or two of walking to figure out their gait pattern and their funkiness. They're exploring, so if they're up on their toes a little bit and then come down at times, or if their toes are in or out, we give I give them a month or two of like solid walking before we start to like panic about anything. Mm -hmm. um, but if that is still happening consistently or increasing at that point past that like first one or two months, and it's not decreasing at all, and you're heading to two, they're not yeah, um, yeah. So there's a whole lot of reasons kids toe walk and figuring out the underlying cause is, is important. Um, typically the way we look at toe walking is it's one of three kind of 
factors of sensory to walker, um, which can look like a lot of times those kids who are on the spectrum um, have a lot of sensory needs, a lot of kids um, with ASD toe walk. Now, I also really want to make this clear because I've had this conversation a lot too. Um, just because your kid toe walks doesn't mean they have ASD. Yeah. It's just a common connection. Yes. Mean- I don't know why, but like so many parents are like, does this mean you think they're on the spectrum? No, it just no. They happen to go no. hand in hand on occasion. So yes. you know, more than all. And the Google rabbit hole is pretty good at linking those two We've things together. About four times now. Yep. Yeah. Stay away from yes. Google. Everybody. No Googling. <laughs> yes. Um, but there is often a sensory component. The other two are that there's like a musculoskeletal factor, whether it's like a joint range thing, muscle tightness, something like that. Mm-hmm. The third kind is the patterning from the brain to the body. It's just for a whole host of reasons, it's gotten a little funky. And when the brain tells the body to walk, it tips you forward and up on your toes. Um, so knowing what the factors are at play, and sometimes it's more than one of those, it's a combination of them, will help you figure out how to address it. But don't leave it too long <laughs> because again, the foot changes. If they're way up on their toes, you'll actually get that front of the foot will start to widen and splay out. And once it's played yeah hard very hard um so reach out to someone if your kid is toe walking and your doctor has told you the velcro out of it reach out to someone and ask more questions um (laughs) like yes um but yeah you know knowing the reason why and and again there's old school treatment methods um and unfortunately a lot of people are still using those methods like I don't want any kid to have to do Botox or surgery. I don't like nicking any Achilles tendons. Like, let's avoid all of that Um, because that's not fun or effective for any of these kids. Um, But, yeah, sooner rather than later, again, and, like, trust that gut. It's not just this cute princess ballerina foot either. Like, it it needs to be seen. And that's the thing, like, everyone's, oh, look how cute she is walking around on her toes all the time. Oh, she's going to be a ballerina someday. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. this is not a good thing. You know, it's it's cute at first, but let's correct that. And and being a foot person, I'm I'm kind of a big foot fetish. Well, not really even fetish, but like a foot person. I, I'm an esthetician by trade, so feet are kind of my thing. So, like, seeing adults feet and you know what they've done over the years and shoved their feet into tiny shoes and seeing the result of what happens to that as they age and as I've worked with seniors and you know all the things that can happen with feet issues like I pretty much I'm a barefoot walker now because I'm just like I'm not shoving my feet into anything anymore right you know (laughs) our our literally our our ground to everything to get us, you know, so anything to do with the foot, like get that assessed and taken care of, you know, and, and cause it affects the whole entire life for the longevity of life. And you absolutely. Know. And things like we know that toe walking is not efficient, mm-hmm. um, meaning like calorie body energy efficient. Right. They're going to tire way more easily. They're going to, even as an adult, right. They're going to not be able to have the endurance that other, you know, a typical gait pattern will have we look at things like what do those joints do over the course of time when they're not in their typical position like wow yeah yeah there are long-term concerns that can happen 
if you continue to toe walk. So yeah. It's not cute. It's not ballerina cute. Let's let's get no. this. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. Reach out to someone sooner rather than later with the toe walking. Cause that's again, I get a lot of kids who are like past that like four or five or even seven, seven kind of age mark. And it's like, why didn't anyone tell me? And they're yeah. in to see me and I'm like, we can try our very best, but I don't, I can't, I can never guarantee you results, but I definitely don't know what's going to happen here. Um, yeah. I don't know how much better we can get it, unfortunately. Yeah, and things like that make me sad. Yeah. I don't like those things. No, no, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And again, trusting your gut and, you know, going with your, your instincts for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Always trust it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and go to, go to Aaron's uh, Instagram and check out her little rant. Cause I'm going to go there next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So good to see you again. I can't wait uh, for everyone to see this interview and uh, hopefully you'll have some mamas reaching out to you. Like, you know, just, even to address some concerns, right? You know, and that's absolutely I want you guys to ask more questions. And that's why we do mm -hmm. things like this. Like, you know, let's let's ask more questions and just making sure that we're getting, you know, everything answered and and to the capacity that needs to be answered as well, too, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I'm always happy to point you in a, the direction I think you need to be, even if it's not me. Yeah. Um I just always I want to support kiddos as best as we can. So I will get you to hopefully where you need to be if yeah. it's not me. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. I love it. Awesome. Thank you awesome. so much. We're definitely going to be chatting again more and more. Uh, the podcast comes out on Sunday and we can maybe dive in deeper into a few other, other little uh, tidbits of things that you want to rant on. Cause I love, I love your rants. So <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep those in. Don't encourage me to rant, but I, I do rant at times. So yeah, yeah I got lots, lots, stored in here that we can always oh, chat all more. Right. oh i don't know if that's uh if that's a threat or what but <laughs> <laughs> awesome thank you so much aaron have a great friday thanks you too thanks for having me bye